haven't seen you in a while, Felicia. I know. You look beautiful and shit. What's yeah, going on? You, you must sexy. be happy because you're wearing a color. A purple. A purple. I haven't seen It brings seen a different you energy, color. a different yeah. patois, a mad flavor. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Sometimes yeah. you got to keep them fucking running. Yeah. If not, it's the same shit every day. I can see you got your eyebrows done. They're nice and tight. You're just the sweetest. You know what? I was married and with someone for 15 years. He never noticed shit. And you come in and you're like, bam, your that's, eyebrows. That's how and quick I was like, you got to work. You know what? And I hope, like Aww. I said, if it comes with the monkey shave too and the asshole, oh, the, uh, the right asshole explo exploration package. right before I see the activity. Nah, partner. but you got to keep that fucking out. monkey yeah. fresh, Planet especially the tight. Down there for me. Nah, nah, nah. And I like it, Planet of the Apey. Don't get me wrong. You, you do? Well, you take yeah, those you undies like, like off the 70s, and, that, the and it's all 70s. uneven. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. it gets uneven like the... The left Libya grows more hair because you got kicked there in kickball or something yeah. like that. So you got it's. I like when it's all fucked up. It looks like it looks like, a, it looks like a black dude's afro when he comes out of the pool. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Mark Gaddafi's hiding underneath it. <laughs> By the way, soldiers are dragging we've him gotten, out. We've gotten hundreds of emails it. on the fucking Ralphie May thing. Oh, I know, I know. You I know, did a great I job, know. Felicia. Thank I listened you. to it. You, you did a good no, job. No, you did it because you guided him into this fucking. You kept him. Uh, and check, but he was great. He fucking dropped it how it was. Yeah, that's pretty. You know, I cried yeah. two or three times yeah. when I heard the podcast, uh, and uh, it was great. And that's it, Felicia. You know, seven days at this time next week, they'll be fucking stitching me up. I'll be cursing at a doctor, telling him to suck my Please dick. Please don't talk about it because I don't want you to faint. And no, no, I'm okay. Listen, listen. The fainting, the fainting went down yesterday. But <laughs> the thing about me is, it. I'm a man's man. I went prepared. I brought a soda with me yesterday. I brought a fireball. I also brought a backup pair of underwear. That's a real fucking champion, <laughs> just in case. Terry had a carry them in her pocketbook. You think I'm kidding you? She's like, why do I have? On the way home, she goes, take these motherfuckers out of my pocketbook. I don't want somebody going in my purse and seeing underwear in my fucking <laughs> no, pocketbook. You, I bet, have some big-ass underwear. Oh, they're so fucking huge. big-ass pocketbook. So yesterday, I took the fucking needle. Uh -huh. Like, I was all fucked up about it. But the night before, I slept like a baby. And there's nothing you could do. Let's be honest. The last two times, the same lady took it out and didn't hurt at all. I laid back. She came in. I put Santana on. Oh, you come over. For some reason, it's anti-faint music. The drums keep you fucking alive. They put the needle in my arm. I didn't even feel it. I didn't even know what was going on until she folded my arm. I popped up. I sat up. I took a sip of fucking Coca-Cola, and that kicked it in. Next thing you know, I started sweating profusely from every orifice in my body. I laid back. There was a little girl typing. I go, can you tell me how to put this fucking thing back? Because I had to lay back, and I just sweat all over that thing for about 10 minutes. And I got up and went and got my chest x-rays like a fucking soldier. And that was it. That's my physical. Today I had to go to the pre-op talk, like the right. strategy talk. They put the knee up on a film and they show you where they're going to cut into it. Yeah. You can't eat eight hours before you no. fucking go it's in there. It's scary when you get an operation. It's scary. <clears throat> they're going to hit me with an epidural block. They're going to put a tube up my fucking nose. Yeah, you know. but you're not dwelling. Huh? You're not dwelling on it. No, no, I had to think about it and break yeah. it down, but I'm all right. At this point, you're listen, right? you go in there and you just turn your head like you're getting fucking raped or something. I don't fucking know. That's what I do. When I go to the dentist and yeah. shit, I just turn my head and what are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? I know. I've been raped turning my head. I get it. What are you going to do? But you know what? We're back, bitches. <laughs> Being the Beast podcast, cocksuckers. Felicia Michaels. Joey Diaz. You sexy, sexy motherfucker. Look at those jeans. Oh, you're that just monkey's all tight at 60 degrees. It don't even have there. sweat yeah. in there. You I, I have to get new you jeans. bad motherfucker. You went to Chicago this week. Unbelievable. The city, uh, the, the show, the fucking, uh, the UFC was kind of boring. The undercard was great. Oh, really? But the power of the fucking podcast is uh, getting stronger and stronger. It's bringing fucking people to a new level. Like, it brings out the creepy in people. 
Oh, like really? if Charles Bronson would have had a podcast when I was growing up, I would have definitely sucked his dick. He would have had me. Charles Bronson, Michael Jackson, because it's weird. Now you're talking to the people. <laughs> James Colburn. Now you're talking wow, to the people. that's a big reveal. Now you're talking to the people, and they're talking to you, and they basically know you. We sit here every week and do a reveal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they know you. When people sit and talk to you, I don't know how many times people came over and we were talking and somebody else came and all of a sudden the people would say to me, it's so weird standing next to you. I listen to your voice in my fucking cubicle or I listen to your voice in my car. It's so weird to stand next to you and hear your voice, you know? So it really makes people fucking, I love it. I love it. We have a little network of people. People were asking for your little blonde Uh, ass and shit. People were making disgusting gestures of what things they would do to you. So you're dry. You got to do this. You got to do this fucking little, you got to do this little playmate fucking count. You got to. You gotta fucking put it together here. We gotta uh, take some pictures of it. That would just be a sad little experience. I Come think. on, though. people want to whack <laughs> no, off the fucking no beat and the beast. This, I'll yeah. put a thong on, run through the wilderness. Natalie can no, take pictures yeah. of us. I'll do it with sketches. Just have one person come in and sketch me when it's really dark. I'll do it that way. All right, whatever you want to do. But I'll tell you what we got going on this week. We got one of my fucking main men. I've known this guy since I came to Los Angeles, California. Uh, it don't fucking matter how I met him. I love him. We worked last week in Chicago. He he had his little fucking, little Momo. What's his name? Little, little Hobo. Little Hobo. Give it up for Mr. Duncan motherfucking Trussell, people. Woo! Oh, Hi. shit. Hi. Hi, buddy. Man, I got to tell you, I would pay a lot of money to watch you suck Charles Bronson's dick. Well, I liked him, <laughs> but there was no way I could communicate with him in the old days. What were yeah. we going to do? Write a letter to Warner Brothers? They had people, they paid to write letters or read the letters, then they bust me out right. as a young kid. You couldn't do that then. Today, no. you're in touch with people. Yep. You're really in touch with people, and if you really want to dig into their head, you could, you're in touch with their emotions. You go on their webpage, but I finally seen it this week. Yeah. And it was, it was weird, but it also felt good at the same time. It's, it's weird and good. I mean, it's 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 exciting as hell, but the you know you just have to start thinking statistics. You know, you're of there's a certain percentage of the population that. Or sociopaths. So there's a certain percentage of the population <laughs> that are schizophrenics, you know? And so the wider your audience gets, the higher the likelihood is that of those people listening, a few of them are going to be in their trailer just sharpening a knife and just sort of having crazy fantasies about you and thinking weird shit. That's where, that's where it gets kind of creepy because, you know, in all of human history, there's never been a time where you know people had this much of a relationship with their fans, so they start knowing you know really deep <coughs> shit about you. They start really understanding you. Their relationship becomes one not really of a fan, but more like a friend. You know, they know the same things about you that your friends know about you, and that's great, ninety nine point nine percent of the time. But for that one Hannibal Lecter. You know, think of fucking Black Sabbath, right? Was it Black Sabbath, the one where the guy killed himself? Was it Black? Which band was it? What was the? Remember when like the backwards record thing started? Right, happening? Judas Priest. Judas yeah. Priest. Remember and when they that got shit taken went to down? Court. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's it's that that one loon, that one freak who thinks that you're sending secret messages to them or that you're transmitting secret info. That's one of the primary symptoms of schizophrenia. You know, you know that, right? Oh, really? Yeah, the yeah, well, schizophrenics start thinking that the radio is giving them special information or that when they turn on the TV, <laughs> Nancy Grace is telling them to do shit, you know? That's what happens. It's like the guy that killed Lennon. He was hearing dog. A, bar, a dog was telling him. 
I think that's Son of Sam. Yeah, son of Sam. Son I'm of sorry. Son One of, of those Sam motherfuckers. The dog was telling him the to dog kill is people. barking in the yard and shit. You're, you're hearing messages. That's that's, that's exactly deep. it. You start thinking you're hearing messages, and the next thing you know, you're thinking, man, Joey Diaz wants me to come to him. He's calling to me. And then they come to you and they think you're their master. They think that you're, maybe they think you're Satan. Maybe they, who knows? Who knows well, what they get there? Why does schizophrenics always got to have like negative like obsessions? Maybe there's some that just, you know, you never hear about the schizophrenics that ha- that are obsessive and think things are communicating with them, but it's all positive stuff like. Well, those are the ones who turn into the, those are the ones who start religions. You know, those are the ones who like <laughs> start cults and start religions because they think they're God's talking to them. Right. I mean, they're, they also become politicians. I mean, there's nothing that freaks me out more than when I hear a politician talk about how, you know, they're in communication with God. God wants them to be president or God wants this or God. That's yeah. spooky. Yeah, that is weird. Because they're, they are not in communication with God. They're not. There's no God talking to them. No God was like, Michelle Bachman, go into the world and become president. That didn't happen. Oh my God. That doesn't happen. That's just a, a narcissist who thinks that the creator of the Imagine the creator of the universe, the creator of all life, the creator of time, the creator of everything under the sun. Of all the little monkeys on planet Earth <coughs> decides to call up Michelle Bachman. That's who the creator of the universe wants to be, the divine representative. Michelle Bachman, a homophobic cunt. Can you imagine that? It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it's absurd. It's absurd. You so know, I always thought I was crazy when I was a kid and I had gone through my little thing that when I would go home at night, I would put on Black Sabbath and some nights I would cry. Like, I would think that I could relate to these guys. Yeah. But in no way ever did I ever consider me going and chasing down Ozzy Osbourne to tell him that we right. were tight or he was talking to me. I, yeah. I, explain, I understand Led Zeppelin. I understood, you know, Patti Smythe. I understood a lot of people where they were coming from. Yeah. But I didn't feel at no time that it made me feel good. It soothed my pain for the moment. Sure. At no time did. And I did a lot of drugs back then. And if anybody had a hole in their soul... To be attracted to something like that, it was me. It's so yeah. weird how I, I see this now, and I'm like, holy shit, this is a weird thing for a kid. Yeah, you know, this is just. Uh... But I like it. I, I like I like that. Felicia and I have been doing this for 18 months, and you've been doing a podcast. I like all this shit. You know, we do Joe's podcast. We do all this stuff, and people get to know who the fuck we are. I got sick and tired of doing a show and 50 people running out. Yeah, I really got sick right. and tired of people coming up to me every every three weeks and going you know what i watched you in some movie and you were funny and now i come here and it was vile and disgusting and yeah. vulgar i'm like fuck you bitch you know what i'm saying i mean <laughs> right. i mean you know i mean i got sick of that a part of me really got sick of that yep i i, I you know i've worked with joe for years you've known joe for years and there was yeah. a time when you know people watch him on fear factor and they think he's a sweetheart they yep. come down you know i remember when he was on news radio uh we were in miami with chris uh Chris, uh, the kid, the real know. cool kid that writes in town, and uh, some lady girl up to him and said, "You're very funny to Chris," and she goes, "I like you, but you're a, a homophobic." I started calling him a bunch of names, and then Joe's like, "What did you expect?" And she's like, "I wanted Joe Girardi." Yeah. You know, when you're like, are you fucking crazy? That's a character on yeah. a television show. Yeah. You know, but with the podcast, we eliminate the middleman. This is what we were talking about in yep. the hotel lobby the other day. That I got sick and tired of that, so I don't mind. Talking about, you know, hey, listen, 
I'd rather put it out than somebody come to me and say, hey, I bumped into a high school friend of yours and he said you robbed something when you were in high school. Fucking put it out there. It was 30 yeah. years ago. If the cops are going to come get me, this ain't coke case, bitch. Right. That's only on CBS <laughs> on Sunday nights. They ain't digging up 30 witnesses and yeah. doing paperwork. That's on CBS to scare Joe Mo. You can't fucking scare Mike Flavor, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Unless you got the tape, bitch. <laughs> or the body and the footage. You don't come to me when I got a neighbor who's seen you crawl in a window because I'll knock that fucking case right out of the loop. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So you put it out there. You put out what happened and how you felt and what you learned from it. And it's uh, great. And now people either don't come fucking see me, yeah. walk right past, or I don't give a fuck. I, I didn't want to see you anyway. Yeah, it's the best, man. I remember going out with Rogan before the podcast, and I can remember, you know, standing and watching the audience, and there'd be a lot of it's, you know, comedy fans who know he's a brilliant stand-up, but then there'd be like two geriatrics sitting there, and like he's talking about pushing your cock around in a wheelbarrow or something from, <laughs> and their faces are just oh my like, God. Are like so sad, and they they seem you would see people who seem legitimately hurt or damaged, like. Isn't that the weird thing about being a comedian? We don't get offended. It's very hard for us to get offended. So whenever you see someone who's like actually offended by an idea, it's almost like getting to see a rare monkey or something. Oh, I had that once when I was working in New York and they used to do comedy in the park. And uh, uh, th this lady came up to me, and this is years ago, and I used to do it because I was born on the day John F. Kennedy died. And, uh, and as I made this joke about it, and I used to do it for years, but she, she was came up to me, this old lady, and she's like, I'm very offended. That was so disrespectful. But that was one time where I was like, you know, I bet if I was her, I would feel that way. She lived through that, and you know what I mean? Like, sometimes, yeah. you know, when you when that does happen, I, you feel sad. Like, oh, I, I didn't mean to do that. Well, it's you a, but you're talking about the, it's like, the you know, a world that we, we, you know, paint pictures. It's just ideas. We bring ideas. Right. They're phantoms. They're not real. We bring these things into the world, and they're just like, it's like when, you know, somebody who makes balloon animals or something. That's not a real, when someone makes a balloon tiger, that's not a dangerous tiger. That's just a balloon. You know, no one's going to people who make a balloon tiger and saying, oh, that tiger frightened me. Why are you making tigers? It's terrifying. But if you get on stage, <laughs> it's the same thing when you're talking. When you're talking, when you're coming up with these, like, these aren't real. Like, these are just fa phantasmal things. So it's very fun. I just got a Facebook message from someone who's like, I don't know why. I don't, you know, I, I don't understand why you guys are friends with brian uh red band because he called how does how could why did he come up with the name death squad do you know what a death squad is are you aware of what a death squad is so there's a link to a wikipedia death squad what a death squad is which is like i guess dictators would send groups of people into villages to execute people but it's like clearly we're not a death squad like we're not going into villages in third world countries and shooting babies in the back of the head there's no association at all but your mind's too small to stretch out a little bit and understand that it's just a word when i get those type of e i i email everybody back but when i get something like that not only do i delete it i block that motherfucker yeah. and all his friends yeah like if we got a connection because i don't want that you got too much fucking time on your hands that's what you're telling me. You sat yeah. there and go, I like Duncan, I like Joey, I kind of like Brian, but that squad? Oh, my God, let me Wikipedia that. Oh, my God, how can they associate themselves? Yeah. With this? Have you heard our fucking material guy? Yeah. Do you think I'm worried about a fucking nickname, that squad? I mean, that's what killed me. You worked at the store, and there was a time when I would go in there once a month, a manager would giggle and hand me a fucking envelope. Yeah. With a hate mail. 
<laughs> those are the best. Yeah. At the comedy yeah, store. Yeah. I got some of those. People who came from ago. Indiana, best. went there, went all the way back to Indiana. And I love Indiana. Don't get me wrong. I'm just using Indiana as an example. And wrote me a letter. Once they got back to Indiana. So you carried that anger with you. Three hours on a plane. This is when I used to look at it. And at first, the first three or four, I read them and went home and changed my material a little bit and looked at it from his point of view. And, and then one day I said, fuck this yeah, shit. This can't. is bullshit. This guy, the worst one I ever got was from a guy in Akron, Ohio, which just destroyed me. I don't know what joke or what reference I made. He wrote back a month later. And it wasn't just a page. It was one of those nine pages where yeah. he sat down and fucking outlined the letter before. It was a term paper. And I felt <laughs> bad for him. Like, I even went and lit a fucking candle for him. Because you took that anger all the way back, three hours back to your hometown yeah. to write the letter. Right. Over a word I had used on stage or a joke. I think it was, you know what the joke was about? He was black, and I made a joke about Ike Turner. Beaten up when he... uh did the press conference oh, yeah. uh -huh. after he he got very angry at Turner, which is a true story. He got very angry at Tina Turner publishing What's Love Got to Do With It in 84, in 84, 85. So he wrote a memoir, and he finally got it done in 94. And the, a girl was a, a publicity, and she told me, she goes, we're doing uh, Ike Turner, he's having a press conference. Well, a week later I seen the girl, and she was like, he was late four hours. The car had to pick him up in Harlem. Crack was oh, in the I'm car. Sure, I'm sure. You know, he got, yeah. but the, the faux pas was somebody asked him, was the book real? And he goes, I never beat the bitch. I just punched in the face a couple times. That is hilarious. <laughs> and I made a joke on stage, and he went home. Yeah. He even contacted, like, a black governor or a committee man wow. over that oh, joke. Oh, wow, wow. Like, it was that deep. Yeah. I, I didn't say a bad word or nothing. I never got it. Well, you're dealing with, you know, what you're like a really great comedian. I remember going to see, uh, you know, George Carlin. And what happens is uh, when you go to see a really good comedian, all of a sudden you realize, oh, this is more than just, you know, laughter. Holy shit, this is a lot more than just laughter. And then all of a sudden, a, a good comedian starts fucking with your subjective reality and starts deconstructing things that up until that point you'd never even considered. You'd always thought they were real. And so that, for some people, is an identity threat. And so they, I guess they get really, they get afraid because their world starts crumbling. Like when I saw Carlin and, you know, he starts off with some kind of like hacky jokes, kind of like, I remember thinking like, oh man, where's the evil you know, black necromancer that I thought George Carlin was, you know, this is like these shit jokes. I mean, this is terrible. Then all of a sudden he's talking about his dying wife's cancer screams. And then he's like, you know, he's breaking down religion and you can look through the audience and you see some people and they are suddenly have just been dragged into the deepest water. Their worlds are, are crumbling inside their heads. And it's beautiful. I love it. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful to it see. And because, you know, that's the best gift you can give somebody. It's the greatest thing you can give them is to, you know, destroy the parts of their identity that are based on falsehood and bullshit. And a good comedian will do that while making you laugh. 
because that's the thing it's like it's like poison that tastes really good you know poison to the ego not poison not bad poison you know but so that's what a great a really good comedian does so when you're you know talking about ike turner or whatever all of a sudden someone i mean imagine these squares imagine their lives and their little fucking living rooms with their fucking mantle and their fan maybe there's a trophy room that their kid has or whatever they come out to hollywood and all of a sudden they're getting molested you're fucking their brain you're just grabbing their brain your mouth fucking their brain like in the porn with a slobber when the girl starts slobbering and she's weeping you're doing that to their their brains and they can't get out <laughs> so they drive home after a psychic <coughs> mouth fucking and there's all they can do is go back and write a letter that's the only that's the only recourse they have <laughs> okay, speaking of mouth fucking yes do you remember one of the times I took my dick out at the comedy store how yes. much chaos it would cause yeah and it would cause chaos against the most fucked up people yeah. ever and one night I went to the store and it was like a rambunctious Friday night in the original room you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Where it's 9:45 and they're already off their rockers. Yeah. There's 60 more people than usual. Yeah. And the lights are flickering. You know, zzz, zzz, you walk up there, the energy's burning, and all of a sudden there's two fallouts and they make you go up there. The comic before me was Bobby Lee, and oh, some wow. hot fucking girl went up there and threatened Bobby Lee's dick or. He's Japanese, he doesn't have a big dick, something just obscene that I had never witnessed before in my life. I was in the back, you know, even as a, as a comic, I had never seen that. And all of a sudden, Rogan had to follow the thing and she kept yelling at Rogan. And one thing led to another and they're going back and forth and the chick is hot, but she's a lesbian with another girl. So he gets off and I gotta follow him. And I go up there and I got nowhere to go. And she's like, hey, chubby, or whatever the fuck, fat baby, whatever the fuck, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know so I said, listen, why don't you just shut the fuck up? You interrupted me. If you're going to come up here and take off your pants, take off your pants. This bitch yells, I'll take off my pants, but you got to take out your dick. I'm dead. I got nowhere to go. She's hot. I go, get up here. The girl comes up, Felicia, <laughs> opens her pants, drops her fucking pants. The pussy is a twelve. <laughs> okay, it's neat. It's like yours right now. It's very neat with the with the line. She probably had a SWAT sticker on it. She had a piercing. The noodle was radiant and full of light. The light was hitting it perfectly. She put cream on it before she left the house. And I'm sitting there mummified. But this is where it gets better. I look to the side, and there's Bobby Lee and Rogan and a bunch of other comedians. And the people are running in. There's no doormat. So people know that there's trouble going on. So yeah. now I'm sitting there and I got nowhere to go and I just pop out my helmet. And the place goes bananas, you know, and they're throwing money up at the stage and she's looking for it, but I'm knocking the 20s off because I was like 18 away from 20, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> on those Friday nights when you get up there, I got $3, I'm 17 away from 20. <laughs> and I remember how much chaos it caused, like amongst the weirdest people. And it wasn't women. It would be guys that would complain like a yeah. week later. Oh, really? Guy comedians would say something to me. Yeah. And I learned a lot from that. Like, I don't know how. It was just really, that was one of my lessons about L.A. and what's politically correct and then politically and how people react towards you. And Yep. You know, it's wow, really I'm weird. People got upset by that. Yeah. The well, there's a, people haven't seen, you got these fucking, you got, there, you got real comedians who <coughs> understand that it's, pure chaos you're a disciple of chaos you're channeling chaos energy and that's what it is and then you've got these bullshit artists who have all these fucking rules 
So they have this idea, oh, no, 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 this is what stand-up comedy is like. Here's how it should work. And never in a million years would you ever on the original room stage that has been graced by the likes of Robin Williams and Richard Pryor to see Joey Diaz pull his genitals out on that stage. It is a, it is blasphemy. You know, there's people like that who are just fucking squares and they don't understand. They're just fucking cowards and they're afraid of, you know, the moments that I think comedy is all about, which is where people transcend the narrow boundaries of society and fucking rise above it. It doesn't happen all the time, but it, and it never happens in the same way. It, you know, it's at that moment, and that especially happens in the OR. Oh, after 11 o'clock, uh, your yeah. heart goes Satan somewhere Satan comes yeah. in. Satan after comes 11 in. o'clock, yeah. we were discussing this, how yeah. I became a comedian because after midnight at the store, I have no reason to ever be insecure again about yeah. comedy, ever. Right. Ever, I could look you in the eye and say I'm a comedian. Why? Because you did this? No, because I followed Mooney at twelve forty-five yeah. in the original yeah. room. But you, you know how people say that? Yeah, I got stripes, bitch. I'm the real. Yeah, kid. we got <laughs> stripes. That's no easy thing. We got stripes. By the way, I had a fucking uh, file of uh, Paul Mooney complaint letters when I worked at the comedy store. <laughs> I had a file. I kept a file, and he would call me up and have me read them to him sometimes. He loved them. He's like, "Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, this is great." <laughs> Oh. How much did you learn from him? Oh, he, man, I learned Seriously, so all not comedian talk. Did you really get something from him? You know, yeah, I think, are I you think, kidding? I think about him oh, once yeah, a fucking absolutely. week. You know, and that I guy laugh is about him so incredible, man. I, one, the first thing I learned, from, one, one thing I learned from him is I remember he got off stage, he, he just he crushed, of course, and I, was, and I said to him, that, that was really, really great. And his response was, oh, I know. Isn't it oh, wonderful? I, Isn't I'm it getting wonderful? tears in my eyes. Just thinking about it, I'm getting tears in my eyes. He uh, didn't do. He didn't yeah. do the. He didn't do the. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, I really appreciate. Yeah. Like, oh, I know it's great. Isn't uh, it? It is just the best. <laughs> I love that. That level of confidence is so beautiful. Yeah. You know, he was. He was. He. He is an. He's awesome, man. And the best is when you can make Paul Mooney laugh. You're like oh. for two weeks afterwards. I can't believe I made Paul Mooney for, laugh. Forget <laughs> it. Oh, you know the other thing he said to me. Here's the other thing he said to me. He's talking about somebody who just gotten on a show or was about to get on a show, and he's like, "Oh yes, they just they decided to like him. They don't. They it has nothing to do with you. They just decide that they like you. That's what it is." And then the other thing he said, you know, like the idea is like when people start getting hot, it just becomes like a consensus among, I guess, suppose the industry that like, "Oh yeah, this guy's in. Let's give this girl this person work." And then the best thing he said was something about. He was talking about it, you know, the industry. He said something like, I have seen the scales of the dragon. I've seen it. The scales of the dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Scales of the dragon. (laughs) That's incredible. You know, the album Race really fucked with me for a long time. What's that? He's he's got an album called Race that really fucked with me for a long time. Like, he must have taped it right when the OJ thing was on fire. Like, he decided to go into a place and bring a tape recorder one night. And it became this album called Race. And it's a bunch of guys on the finish line, like five black guys and one white guy, something, you know, Paul Moody-ish. And I remember listening to that and and then walking into the store and seeing his name on the lineup and, like, having to sit the fuck down. Like, I'm going to be two after this motherfucker tonight. Yeah. You know, what if? Yeah. What if? Like, just that. You know, it's it's hard to understand. It's bigger than any test. It's like walking in the fucking Hiroshima right after the bombing. <laughs> oh, no it's like walking oh, through the smoldering no, ruins shit. of fucking Hiroshima. <laughs> no. What are you gonna do? Ah! <laughs>
<laughs> oh my I never god! Wanna, I wouldn't want if I had to follow him, man. I would just. Do you have any fucking idea? She would put me on at midnight. Yeah. Straight up Tuesdays, Wednesdays. Well, that's just yeah. that's because she loved you, man, oh. and that's what her, that's what she would do. Because oh. the 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 you know the mark of Mitzi really liking you. There there were there were two signs she really liked you. You know, uh, one of the signs is you know she'd give you a bunch of spots, and the other sign was she'd start putting you behind the, the you know comics Savages. that are almost impossible to follow because she was training people right that's what she yeah. was doing yeah. when, you know yeah. when she was doing yeah. the lineups it wasn't just yeah. putting on a good show she was also had this system where she was like she would re- you know recognize the weakness probably where you needed to grow as a comic or something you could learn and then she'd yeah. put you in a spot that would make the spot you would be right after Mooney yeah <laughs> on a yeah. Friday night because that's gonna teach I mean now you now Jeez. shit man we are in Chicago I've never seen. I've never seen. I've never seen you like that. You were just destroyed. I, destroyed I love it. Destroyed that it now. crowd. I love it. Now. It was like the sound of. I don't know how many people. Three thousand five hundred people. The sound of three thousand five hundred people roaring at your jokes. You felt like you were listening to the Mongols riding into some village. Just this <laughs> booming laughter coming from them. Man, there was it was a lot beautiful. of people in there. It was just. What was the order of the show? It was. Joey Diaz, Little Esther, Praise God, and then me. <laughs> it was oh, great. Wow. And it went like it was, elementary. It was incredible. Wow. Esther, it was, Little Esther's hilarious. Little Esther Little just Esther's happened Ill. to be, she just yeah. happened to be in, in Chicago with her parents. Uh-huh. Yeah. Visiting her parents, and she called Joe and wanted to come to the show, and then she came backstage, and she goes, you think I should go? I mean, it was just the weirdest thing. And I'm like, listen. Go up there and don't sweat it. Just be you. This is your home turf. Yeah. This is your backyard. You're not going to bomb. Yeah. I'm going to let them know. This is. And she went up there and I could see her grow. Like she went on stage as a little girl, but she yeah. came out like a woman, which wore off an hour later. Right. But do you follow what I'm saying to you? Yeah. You see it. When you see people grow from an experience right there. Yeah. You know, it took, a, it'll take eight spots at the store for her to get what she got that night. That's right. And that's what I was most happiest about. I told all these guys the show went great, everything went great, but it was knowing that her parents were in the audience. Oh, very nice. And made, yeah. you know, my parents never got to see me. I don't know if yeah. your parents got to see you. I don't know if your they parents got to see her signing autographs. They got to see her signing autographs. Do you understand me? Yeah. So everything at home cooled off. Yeah. Like finally, when your parents see it, they're like, that's it. We'll never complain from him again. Yeah. And he looked at me at the end of the night, the father, and I shook his hand. He's like, thank you, you know, for watching her. And it was like, they were so proud. I felt uh, like an uncle. You know, oh, yeah. like I felt like a real fucking relative to her. Like, she's our friend. Yeah. And we was hitting on and oh, she's our friend, bro. You know, and uh, we supported her. And it just, it's, it's, it's really, we're all comedians and we know that support when somebody gives it to you. You know, when somebody gives it to you, you know what it's like. Yeah. When you give it and you see it come through, right. my God, does your dick get hard. Yeah. My God, you know. Because there's people that come to you and like, hey, man, I need advice. And then two days later, they're like, well, I talked to Duncan. And Duncan said it. And you're like, then what the fuck did you ask me for? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You didn't believe in me. That's annoying. She believed in me. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it gave me a, something. It just filled the hole in my fucking heart. Do you ever remember the first time? When you yeah, grew? yeah. We, I, I try. I'll try to think of a specific show. Well, I mean that house. When I, I don't know if it's growth. But when I got to do the House of Blues shows that you were, that you were at, that was the oh the shows in New Orleans. Yeah, that was a yeah, moment. That, of, those are that was the first shows. time I'd ever seen them. Like that was at, that was the first time I'd been in front of the podcast fans, and so that was a 
I don't know if I call it. I think it was growth. It was just this exciting moment of realizing, holy shit, this is. I that mean, was this pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. That yeah. was pretty amazing. Afterwards, uh, they went out and signed uh, autographs and stuff, and it was a horde. I mean, it was, it was a, a lot of fucking people yeah. and people that like even I got recognized off the Beauty and the Beast podcast. Like, like this is a whole different. That w- oh, I didn't know that was your first time. I thought you were kind of used to it. You see, no, that, that didn't. Yeah. That hadn't. Ha- I mean, that had. I, I'd been. You know, I. I just started um, headlining right before that. I just gotten. Uh, uh, great booking agent, this guy Tim Scowling. I just started headlining, so I I had already seen the people coming in from the podcast, but I hadn't seen it at the magnitude it was at, at that show because Rogan was there. It was incredible, but yeah, the big you know the real growth though happens through uh, usually anytime you get on stage and uh, deviate from your material and just become yourself and just hit that connection. When you it's a it's a specific sense of connection that you feel with the audience that has that is much deeper than the material. And when you feel that happen and that thing clicks in, then for me those have always been the most expansive moments as a comic because it gives you confidence to rise above your material, not get stuck in that, you know, because you know comics can get really stuck in the their material and you can and I do, you know, you can get entrenched in it. And, and you're afraid to take risks. You don't. Diaz, you're the opposite yeah, of that. Yeah, you're, you're just the complete blast opposite. Past you're just it. like a fucking circle of beautiful Where did chaos. I learn that? Yeah. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Where did I learn that? Fucking OR. Where did I learn that? Mm-hmm. When you go up at 1245, okay, at the comedy store, there's two waves. There's the 905 wave that gets Argus Hamilton and Stephanie Escajeda. Yeah. And, you know, and then at 1115, they got to go do something. They gotta, their dealer is across the street. Yeah. They got to go to the standard and meet that pussy. Yeah. Now you get the people who went out at 9 to dinner and said, fuck it, that coffee kept me awake. Why yeah. don't we go desensitize over at, or whatever, when you come off a fucking plane, yeah. over at the store with a cocktail. And they go into the cocktail, and they go in, and you watch them come in. And their interest isn't in the store. It's like a, a macho guy at a strip club. At first, he's just there for the meat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for the steak. Yeah. And you have to come over to him. And all of a sudden, you want to go up there and watch them having a conversation. And I want that conversation to stop. But if I go up there and talk about the same fucking subjects that every motherfucker came up me and talked about tonight, yeah. they covered what came up on the news tonight. They're all brilliant if they were at the store. Yeah. They all covered the topical stuff yeah. with them and then some. They all covered every fucking dr- everything they covered there. So you had to basically go up there and do a fucking tiptoe in between your day and your life. That's which it. is the hardest fucking thing ever to suck out of you at 12.45 when you've oh. smoked 55 fucking joints already. Yeah. Plus, you got a Coke rock in your pocket that you're dying to do. But there's eight people in the audience. And you say to yourself, you tell your addiction, I'm going to be off stage in 12 minutes. There's only eight people. And next thing you know, Jeff's not giving you the light because you're killing those eight people. Yep. Not to mention four more came in, the bartenders and Duncan's back there yep. watching you. And when you get off... You didn't do it. And then Duncan will come to you and say, Diaz, I've never heard a bit of that material. And you're like, I didn't do material because it's 1245. Yeah. And fucking, uh, and nobody was here. William and Pavia wasn't here to follow me. So they let me <laughs> stretch the fucking life. Right. That's when you learn about comedy. Yeah. And you get off and you're like, I just did fucking 30 minutes for eight fucking people. That's it. There was six when I got in there. Well, that's the, yeah, and that's the, that's real, sta- to me, that. That's real, sta- that's, that's real what stand-up. got me going. Which is why it's always confusing to me, you know, like when they have like, you know, comedy specials on TV, it, like people who know stand-up from TV, 
I always feel like you don't really know stand up. If no, you know, you know what? I was just having this conversation with someone because brilliant. I was saying they asked me, "Do you watch a lot of stand up uh, on TV?" And I was like, "You know what? No, I don't because you, it's not. You can't. That you're. I can't tell. I can't tell yeah. if you're any good. I got to put my eyes on you and yeah. see the crowd and smell the room yeah, and have and a drink in my hand and see you sweat and see you. You know, I, you, that's what I need to see. You want to feel the spirit because a, a, a great stand up comedian summons a spirit into the room you summon this thing i don't know what it is but it's a thing that comes into the room and you can't feel that on tv like watching stand up on tv it's this it's the same thing as like watching flowers on tv you don't know a flower until you've <coughs> smelled the flower and like felt it when you watch a stand up on tv you're seeing i think you're mostly seeing acting when you see stand up on tv you're seeing a a form of acting it's it's maybe they're in the moment, but the odds are good. I think like you know there are exceptions to this rule. Like Richard Pryor's stand-up specials are fucking incredible because he was in the moment. You just at the read time. my fucking mind. I was yeah. just thinking, well, yeah, you gotta watch that one from the improv with the menus behind them. Yeah, that yeah yeah yeah. Those are you're seeing that one's fucking as real as kind of it's gets. real and it's fucking yeah. raw. But when you watch some of these like you know some some like some of the half-hour specials right, where yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. you know kind of like doing like a they're just it's what's it, they're like doing like this industrial they're just rushing the comics through and they you know they change the sign in the back with whatever the comedian's name is in the back and they get out there in front of this crowd where the crowd's just been told to laugh at no matter what and they've gone through the fucking uh, standards and practices like three times with their act and they're like yeah maybe you shouldn't why you shouldn't say rape at this part is there another word you can use for this <laughs> rape and so then the next thing you know you're getting this watered down fucking automaton up there who's like terrified and just wants to do a good job and doesn't understand that the very act of getting on stage uh, in front, uh, for your big comedy special and doing censored material is only going to hurt you because then people are going to see you and be like well I mean it was, it was pretty good but it was kind of like watching a synthetic thing or it's like watching like Lincoln at Disneyland go through the like when you put a quarter in it's like watching an automaton so it's 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 better if you want to see real stand-up, you've got to go to a club, you know? Now, now I find if I do uh, have seen a comedian a lot, I can kind of watch them on TV because I kind of got it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's still not the same. You're still not going to get that exactly. moment when, like, fucking, I don't know what the moment is, but it just you, it just happens at, at a show, and it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens, and all of a sudden the comedian is now channeling... Uh, I don't know, channeling fucking uh, the underworld. You know, all of a sudden the underworld is rushing through the comedian. You're seeing like the comedians possessed. Fucking Eddie Griffin. When you watch Eddie Griffin after a certain amount of time, I don't know who the fuck that is up there anymore. That's not Eddie Griffin. That's some some kind of he's being possessed by demons or something, and he's hypnotized the crowd and he's throwing out just. <laughs> just lies he's throwing out things that are not historically accurate at all you know i saw him you know talk about now the buddha came from japan <laughs> no he didn't what are you talking about but the fucking audience is just enthralled and they love it and they it, that moment it's true when he says it is totally fucking true i saw eddie griffin once when he got done when he'd really hit it uh, i saw it when he's i'd never seen this before it's two in the morning He's held a crowd at the con. He's held like forty or fifty people there for maybe 
I don't know, four two hours, two, four yeah. hours, three, two four hours. hours. He gets done with his act. <laughs> with the audience material. sits there stunned. <laughs> do you think, really? I don't know. What do Does you think? Does he do that? I don't know. Think about it. I never heard that about him. Really? Yeah, I never heard that. I never heard that. Is that true? What's that? Do you think he uses other people's material? Well, yes, he's been accused of stealing, ah. taking a little bit of booty and then apologizing. Ah. Rogan says a story that he did one of his jokes in front of him. He goes, "I couldn't even get mad at him because it was Eddie Griffin." Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't even get mad at him. Yeah, it's a, and then he told Joe like the next night, "Dad, I got carried away up there." You know what I'm yeah. saying, player? Crazy thing is, Duncan Trussell. What? I watched you go on stage at the Comedy Store. Probably your first. Oh no! A couple of times, and uh, that's when I really fell in love with you, because she would put you up like at seven, you know, like yeah. she'd still be there. And those, you know, I, I, I'm pro and con about the comedy store, and I told you how I felt. Yep. But one of the things I'll never take out of my mind in our Sunday nights in there. Sunday yeah. nights was collection night. Sunday night was when everybody showed up. You had to pay the fucking piper. Yeah. You flew back from whatever hellhole you were in to share your story, and you always came by the store. Yeah. And I always hosted the late half, but I would come early and watch everybody. And I'll yeah. never forget you going up there and putting on Wish You Were Here that time and me going, where the fuck did this come from? Like, right. I couldn't, my head was going to blow up watching <laughs> him because it was completely unconventional of what I had seen at the store before. I had seen prop acts. I had seen magicians, I had seen females, I had seen dirty comics, clean comics, world-class comics. But here was this this kid that was completely different. He was funny, and everybody in the room was watching him, including the comics, yeah. including Mitzi Shaw, which is the hardest audience. Get him off! <laughs> Get him off! She's so hard to perform in front Get him off! Yeah. And uh, I fell in love with you because of your balls, your commitment. You know, you did my little hobo bit the other night, which I love. Yeah. And it always works because of your fucking commitment to it. Yeah. And people are sitting there going, what the fuck is he doing? But they get entranced, just like Eddie Griffin. Yeah. Because if you really look at a good stand-up, it's his commitment. Who gives a fuck about a date or what the fuck you're saying or right. a name? If the commitment's there, you're not yeah. even going to argue with him. That's you right. You know what? He just told me Christmas was on January 1st. Yeah. Fuck! I didn't know that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's okay. I didn't fucking know that. It's January fucking 1st. Christmas is on. What the fuck? I've been married for you for 12 years. You never fucking told me that. You know, that's what a good comedian does. He takes you into his living room of his fucking mind. Yep. How you did know. how did you get in? Uh, yeah, how comedy. Did you get how, in? how how was your what was your? Oh, uh, it's very strange. I, did what, you start in Virginia, in North Carolina? No. I, here's what happened. I moved to L.A. Um, and for what reason? No, I was either going to move to New Orleans or L.A. because I thought there were two. There would be cool cities to live in. I just graduated from college. What had, college? Uh, Warren Wilson College and uh, Swan and Nona, a liberal arts college. The girls wouldn't shave their legs. Uh, right after I drank. <laughs> <laughs> when no, I, really, when I go, like, uh, like a year after leaving that college, I still found it odd that women shave their underarms. Like, I thought it would seem strange when you'd see a girl without hair on her underarms. Because the girls there, if you went, were a girl at that college and you shaved your legs, you were ostracized. Like, all the girls would be like, what oh, the fuck really? are you doing? Really? You think you got to shave your legs? Why are you shaving your legs? To impress men? Is that what you're trying to do? Be yourself. Don't shave your legs. They had like, and, and it definitely stops bothering. I dated a girl. That was like my first serious girlfriend was in college. I dated a girl for two years who had hair under her underarm. Smelled like patchouli. <laughs> my Ooh. sheets would smell like patchouli. I, I was constantly inundated with the smell of patchouli. Did you like it though, that stuff? Yeah, he likes it. Well, yeah, I, I liked the smell when it was attached to a young 
uh, vagina. I mean, the smell of patchouli <laughs> when it's like, it's coming from a college girl, a delicious, I mean, young, 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 young beautiful, oh, hopeful, yoga, and like <laughs> like modern dance class. Like the titties you signed the other night. Yeah, that 24 was years old, you should have seen these you titties. titties? She First was time showing, in my life. She was showing really? them to us from the stage, this little young freak, confused. She was this young little Bruno Mars type kid, and I kept telling him, Duncan, Duncan, just read it Ryan Act. Tell her what time it is. Yeah, that was the, that was that was a wonderful moment. Hilarious. We were fucking torturing this <laughs> poor girl, signing little titties. Then she came up, waited online with the boyfriend for her wow. to sign the titties. And I gotta tell you something, I was I couldn't even find the freckle. Like that's how perfect. I've got a great picture. I got a picture of little yeah. Esther signing. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful yeah little picture. Esther signed. Little too. Esther signed yeah. him too. Yeah. yeah. Well, no wonder she walked away from that show as a woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she found her real self. Um. So what? What? Anyway, I moved to L.A. My I lived in Venice. My landlord was an, a crack addict, and and like um, uh, uh, I'll tell you this. This will you'll like this. So man, I, I didn't know anything. I just got out of a liberal arts college. I knew nothing, and so I'm my landlord's a crack addict. I'm living in this back house behind a crack addict, and he had a crack addict friend who would come over, and this guy, I remember, came up to me and was like, "Hey, have you ever copped a rock?" And uh, I didn't know what he meant. But I was trying to be cool because I wanted to impress him. I'm like, no, nah, no. I, th- I, I, I didn't hear him right. Cop a rock. Cop. Like, does he mean like music? Is he talking about rock music? I swear to God, I didn't know he meant fucking crack. And he's like, okay, come on, let's go. And so we pulled around. He like, in Venice, you know, it's like one street's okay. And then the next street, you're in Watts or whatever. So we drive down some shitty street, pull in front of this house. I mean, by then I realized, oh man, this is a drug thing. I can't believe I didn't realize what this was. Stop the car. These black dudes come running out of the fucking house, <laughs> screaming. I don't know. They're mad. I don't know what it is. They're like, you motherfucker. What the fuck? Don't fucking come around. They come up to the car. He gives them cash. They throw fucking crack into the car. We, we drive back around. And um, yeah, that was like a, my first and only crack deal. But my, uh, my landlord, being a, uh, a, a junkie, started taking me to these underground L.A. raves and like really like fucking crazy shit we were doing crazy shit at night and so he scored a vial of lsd and so for like one summer i was just getting blasted on acid i'd put on altoids and like every you know as much as i could take it i would take it you know because if you have a vial laying around it's it suddenly doesn't become like it doesn't it doesn't become like a special occasion like i got to do laundry today you know i'll take a couple of drops it's like a bag of oreos but times a million constantly tripping constantly tripping and um and it's it was a wonderful time wonderful but the money started running out the money that I had started running out so I had to get a job and um I ended up going up to the comedy store you know I was just going through uh fucking West Hollywood looking for work at places I thought would be cool to work at knew nothing about the comedy store I was walking by the comedy store and I remember putting my hand on the building I clearly remember this moment and I thought this would be a cool place to work and so then I went into the building, fucking filled out a resume. I had a CD of prank calls. I'm so dumb. I'm like, I'm funny. This prank, listen to my prank calls. Like, that's going to get you a job. But uh, they gave me a job on the phones. And I still wasn't thinking about being a, a comedian at the time, you know. I, and, um, and then, you know, of course, you start working there and be like, just do the open mic. What do you have to lose? It could be fun. You know, and then I started doing like three minutes and um, I still remember this moment, fucking Freddie Soto, I was working in the cover booth and Freddie Soto came in 
And you know, when you're just new at the comedy store and you don't know anything about comedy, they're all funny. They were all funny to me. Every single comic seemed super funny. I thought they were all just fucking heroes for doing it. And I really thought Freddie Soto was funny. And I remember he walked by the cover booth and I made some dumb joke to him. I was like, hey man, but I was real serious. I was like, hey man, you are so funny. Um, would you ever want to fuck my sister? Would you fuck my sister? And I was being real serious about it. Like, I really wanted him to fuck my sister. And he's like, for a moment, he's like, really? Because he thought, like, I had to. So I don't have a sister. But I had that, you know, he started laughing really hard at me. And then that was the first time I made a comedian laugh. I still remember. I was like, ah, oh, fuck, man. This is, this is great. And then Freddie, um, I still remember this. We're pumping gas because I was driving. I got in the job as the runner. Freddie Soto had been the runner of the comedy store, and the runner of the comedy store mostly you were just driving. I was a runner also. Oh, you were a runner? Me and no you were runners. I was a runner with Oshak. Wow, that's fucking awesome, with man. Bobo, Freddie got me the job. Holy shit, Freddie man. started getting popular, and then I became a runner. Bob Oshak became a runner. Yeah, well, Freddie trained me to be the runner. Like, he came back in to train me to be the runner. So he, I was driving around the van with him, and, like, we went to a... I the hardware still, store and the we, bank. Hard, weird shit, man. We yeah, yeah. we stopped to go to you know the weird fucking groceries you get from Mitzi like fucking tongue sandwich. Cow's tongue sandwich. <laughs> tongue sandwich. <laughs> you had to buy a cow's tongue. Oh, get some cow's tongue. <laughs> fucking crazy. Yeah. But he um. So we're we're you know I'm pumping gas and you know I I've been doing the open mic I didn't know anything about stand up at all but I was starting to think in a you know widen my, the idea of what I might be able to do and I was pumping gas and he's like Duncan dedicate yourself to stand up he's like you're funny and it's gonna take a long time to learn to do it he's like but how long is it gonna take if you go to graduate school if you go to graduate school, how long are you going to have to be in graduate school? Five years? Seven years? How long is it going to take? He's like, which do you want to do? Do you want to be a fucking, you know, a psychologist or a doctor or some kind of, or do we, what, what seems fun to you? Think about this life. This could be a really good life. And that moment, you know when shit like that happens and your mind just does that zoom in and time freezes and your fucking mind takes a takes a picture of it. it it's like frozen in my mind the smell of the fucking gas the fucking pump sticking out of the van the fucking you know just like freddie standing there in this me in that moment i was like yeah i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna try i'm gonna try to do this and that that was pretty much the beginning of it and um was and that that's 98, how that happened. 99? I don't know what year. I don't know what year that was. Where did you come out here? Do you remember? What, I don't remember, man. When I did tried... you graduate high school? College. You don't remember? Let's go home and look at the fucking I got to look at the fucking calendar, man. That's I don't amazing. know the exact. It's been about, t it's been about between 10 and 12 years or something like that. Something like that. Um, yeah, it had to be. Because I still remember walking up those stairs on a Sunday. Yeah. People bothering you. Hey, Mitzi said I could go up. Hey, are you going to give me 10 minutes? Hey. And we go, hold on, and walking up, and the lights were different, and you were on stage, yeah. little hobo, and I'm like, wow, this is one of my favorite songs, Wish You Were Here, I haven't heard it, so that stopped me. <laughs> yeah. And then what you were doing, and I got sucked in after that, and I still remember us uh, torturing John Caparulo that night, like that to me, you yes. don't remember this, about, about me going, John Caparulo's a comedian that's very popular now, and at the time he was very green, and he was quiet. Yep. Very introverted, very quiet. You had to beat him to talk to him. like, And he was a sweet kid. And one night I'm like, let me break his balls. And I'm like, listen, you know why you're not getting spots? Because you got to pay a vig to fucking to Duncan Trussell. And he's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, well, you didn't do That's why you're not getting fucking spots. you got to give him $10. He's like, but I'm only making 15 That's the fucking deal. 
You gotta give him $10 You gotta be there And we're working him yeah. I'm like working him Over and over Like from now on On Fridays oh People are gonna give God. you money You gotta give it to the window And then Dun and all of a sudden Duncan walks right into The conversation I'm like oh no <laughs> I either gotta take him aside Or he's gonna play him And Duncan fell right into it Yeah And Duncan's like Yeah that's why You're not getting Fucking spots You gotta pay me I think I do this For fucking love yep. <laughs> And we had him And then finally He's like fuck you guys And then we let him go But yeah. That's the greatest man That Those tricks That we play on each other that Comics are brutal with pranks did I ever tell you the prank I, pl I pulled on Bobby Lee no this is one of this is like Bobby Lee uh, called me up out of the blue when I was the, so I went from runner to being the talent coordinator of the club so Bobby Lee called me up uh, out of the blue and was like kind of like uh, Bob, by the way Bobby Lee would always do awful shit to me man he'd fucking come into my office he'd fucking once he took a glass he came, he came to my office he took a glass he pissed in the glass right up to the very top and then he put it on my desk and left so now i have a glass of piss sitting on my desk it's like filled did you know up. exactly what it was when you walked yeah in? you know he'd come in and pull his pants down he would, he would molest you i've been molested in the real oh, way did it in front of you yeah he molests he molested me but um uh i can remember so he called up and he's like hey i'm getting a fax i'm gonna get this fax so just take the fax and give it to me and he was kind of like abrupt and, and a little rude. And, and I thought, all right, okay, I'll, I'll fucking take the facts. So I get this fax. The fax is from um, Mad TV. He's got to go to New York and do this, some kind of Mad TV event. And uh, so what I did is I, and it has the, you know, here's where you're getting picked up. Here's where you're going. Here's what's going to happen. So I took this fax and I added to the facts to make it look exactly like the facts another paragraph <laughs> the paragraph said the uh the limo is going to take you to and i looked up this costume shop in uh in new york i found a real costume shop and so it seemed authentic so you would know it was real this limo is going to take you to like you know al's costume shop where you'll be given a size small uh bunny outfit that, that you're going to be expected to wear <laughs> during this event and then I added to it, and please refrain from uh, no more drugs, Bobby, please. And I added that in there, too. So he comes in, and he gets the fucking facts. He's like, he like, he gets, he comes, he gets the facts. And he, I, I, can, I see him reading it as he's walking off, and I hear him go, what the fuck? Fuck. He's like, I'm not wearing a rabbit. I'm not going to wear a rabbit suit. <laughs> so, so, like, so I get a fucking call. Like, so, like, three hours pass, whatever. <laughs> I get a call from him, and he's like, fuck you, man. He's like, fuck you. My manager called like the head of mad tv she called like the top person there and was like pissed she's like my client's not wearing a bunny suit to this event he's like what are you talking about it was the greatest ever it was so great yeah did you get in trouble at all for that did not get no i mean I, bobby's a cool guy so he, he can't really stay mad at you he's only mad for like a, a few hours i'm sure he paid me back in some awful way for that too but we were we would always play the worst pranks on each other. I remember I was in Florida, hung over one day at the Miami Improv. I got a call from Princess Corey when she's a talent coordinator. She's like, Joe Diaz, yes. I have to ask you a question. I'm like, what? She goes, did you like 
Robert Epivai on fire last night. <laughs> no, I was in Miami snorting blow till five in the fucking morning. What's wrong with you? She's like, I just got a call that you lit him on fire, that you were there. I go, I wasn't even fucking there. How can I throw a match in there? They locked him in the male bathroom by the door and they would put paper towels. At the down. comedy store? Yeah, like to fuck with yeah. him. Yeah. They just a bunch of guys would fuck with him every Sunday. And he kept coming yeah. back. So please, he's not yeah. a victim. He kept coming back. Yeah. He kept coming back. No, no, there's not. After something, you come one time and people do yeah. crazy shit. And he's been going there for I don't know how many years. So. Yep. But it was a step. That's the type of calls you got from the comedy store on a Monday. Do you light somebody on fucking fire? That That's was just, funny. that was just uh Always high drama, man. I learned so much about comedians from being on, on the other side. Because like, uh, I can remember my favorite thing is the excuses like comedians can't just call and say I can't do the spot you know I don't feel like going out it's always got to be the worst event it's not even like some simple thing it's always like a fucking apartment fire like their grandmother had broken their her arm or just that like in the same always the sound in their voice is one of like just such 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 fear and sadness at having to cancel and like I always knew there were whatever it was whenever a comedian called to cancel I always knew whatever the excuse was was gonna was a lie because I know why you're canceling now I especially know why you're canceling you're canceling because you're in bed you're watching fucking CSI and the idea of getting, the idea of that makes me laugh so hard because now whenever we ever talk about the comedy store. I my big first thing I go to is when I started at the comedy store in like 86 <clears throat> I had the first spot for like four years or something crazy and I would call up every night I had a spot and I yeah. would call up every like two or three times a week and be like oh I'm sick or I have yes. a stomach ache or like some yeah. craziness right and now I would do anything toward the comedy store yeah. and I remember I bet you know so it makes me laugh when you say that because I totally remember pretending to be sick and all the excuses yeah. now, who was you were the, laying around in bed who was the chick that was suing Don Barris that was uh, wasn't that Judy Cienciata? Judy Cienciata is on stage one night. There's got to be maybe 18 people. Whenever Judy was on stage, there was a bomb alert. She was just coming to bomb. You know, she would fight for fucking spots. It was either her or a man. It would be a fucking cavalcade of bad comedy. It was just bad. Okay, but this one particular night, Judy had had like three spots. And I'm in the back going, why? Like, I'm right. no judge, but this is just terrible. She's yeah. talking about New York and Carnegie Hall, and I'm just sitting there fucking dying. I can't take it no more. So I go up behind her, and I take a string, and I tie it around my dick, and I pull my pants down, and I go through the, the front bar, and I go to the back of the stage, and in between her jokes, I would just open the curtain, and they see my dick with the string, and I close the curtain. And they would abrupt the 12 or 13 people that were in the room. <laughs> Judy had no idea. I'm sorry. No. You, you put a string on it? Yeah. You put a string around your dick. Right? Uh-huh. And you just play with it like a puppet. Like you just pull right. it up and down yeah. like it's a puppet. Like it. So I would like open it's the Pinocchio. And look at the people and go. And he closed the curtain. <laughs> and she thought she was getting laughs. Yeah. It really? was fucking priceless. Oh, my God. This went on for about eight minutes. And I mysteriously went back and watched her get off stage. And she went out and she was like, my God, I was great tonight. That's the most laughs I ever got. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God. She found out like a week later. They <laughs> yeah. finally broke a fucking bubble. Somebody told her and she called well, that's, Bobby that, Lettington or something. And, and, yeah, Did you no, get in trouble for that? They were just no one got in trouble. Nobody Mitzi got, thought it was hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> she, 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 she called... 
she what this is how, this is how it goes down here's how it goes down so you would be you know the town queen so you get a call and it's judy Santiago. so some awful thing some awful things and you're hearing it and you, you don't want to laugh because whatever she's saying is so funny but like whatever the thing is, you know. so so then so here's how here's what so then i you know but i i'd have to call mitzi you'd have to tell her what's going on because uh you want to, you know, it's, it's, that was my job. So I call Mitzi and be like, uh, you know, uh, Judy Santiato is whatever the, you know, whatever the saying that Joey Diaz was pulling his cock up with a string behind her. Oh, really? Tell <laughs> <laughs> oh, that baby, huh? <laughs> and, then, and so then this, and then all of a sudden the, then all of a sudden the lineups would change. So now whoever the person was, someone was complaining about, now, that that person's following Joe Diaz. Now, you know what I mean? Now, Santa <laughs> is getting put in the lineup after Diaz so that, he, so that the torture can happen more. You know what happened? Right when, if comedians were dating, like when Caparulo was dating Shane Matash, yeah. guess what happens when they break up on the lineup? What? Now, Shane Matash is following Caparulo, so he's got to bring she thought it was funny. Mitzi Show was yeah, great like that. Yeah. yeah. She oh loved all that shit. She loved it. She was the she was the puppet master behind the whole thing, man. She understood it all and she thought fucking remember the Peter Chin Don Barris yes. endless fight? So so uh um you know I can always remember Peter Chin calling me and, and being like, Why does she do this? Why does she always put me after Don Barris? I don't understand. He's torturing me. But it's like that's why, because you're giving. That's why she thought that she thought that that was she thought was funny. That night I hit I hit I hit Peter Chan with my car that night. You did the yeah. night you mean the big fight. The or... big fight. He was running, and I'm pulling in. You know. I remember that. What, what, music. what big fight was this? That was Don Barris and him were arguing. It started in the belly room, or it started somewhere. Yeah. And as he's making the turn, he's looking. Go fuck you! I'll never come here again. And boom! I just tapped him with the car. Oh, no. <laughs> so bad. You know, man, the, the, it's, that, it, Peter Chin's a nice guy, but the, the the comedy store functions as a as a kind of um, as its own organism, and it's got its own white blood cells. And if something gets in there that doesn't seem like it should belong, at least at the time, man, it would come from all angles. Like it, it was. That's the weird thing about. Stand-up comedy is, is it's got its own rules. It has a very, it's got its own kind of legal system. Or, or and, and if something's wrong, then then whatever that wrong thing is gets attacked in the most brutal ways. It can be really brutal to watch, you know, and kind of sad in a way. It's very funny. I was telling you guys at dinner a few stories the other day, and I, that night when I went upstairs, I thought about them. I'm like, you know, they were pretty fucking violent shit that. Somebody could have got hurt. I threw a bottle one night. I threw a couple punches. People could have got hurt. Yeah. You know, my second night up there, I got into it in front of Mitzi Shaw with Steve, whatever his name is, the kid with the violin. Yeah. Greenstein? Yeah. Second night. Are you serious? Oh she loved, Greenstein? And she loved it. She loved that yeah. was her dick got yeah. hard because I yeah. didn't back down. Let's uh, go. Yeah. Bring him yeah. on, motherfucker. Yeah. That, she loved it because she, 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 her philosophy of comedy is that uh, comedians are, should, only be individuals they should be rare i'm this is in my own words but yes, it's like no. when you go to the zoo you don't want to see a fucking house cat when you yeah. go to the zoo you yes. don't want to go and see a fucking dog you know at the zoo you want to see a deadly black adder or an elephant or a giraffe so her idea was with the comedians that she's picking to go on stage they they had to be like pure individuals so when people came to watch stand up there 
you know, in the in the best possible version of it would be that everyone they saw on stage wasn't just funny, but everyone they saw on stage was a complete, unique, self-actualized person that you would never generally run into in real life. That was the idea. So when comedians did shit like, you know, like you getting in a fight with Steve Greenstein, I don't even know who that was, it says a lot about you, especially you doing it in front of her. Because it says that you're not afraid to express the way you feel. And, and if you're afraid to express the way you feel, then you're probably not going to be a great comedian. If you, you know what I mean? If you're afraid to just honestly portray the way you feel in front of big crowds of people, then you're not really a comedian. You're just somebody who's uh, pandering or trying to manipulate the crowd. That's why in the OR, there's that, that thing above the OR that says uh, about the open mic, not to be funny for three minutes, but to be yourself. That was her whole thing. So if that's pretty so, fucking brilliant, yeah, pretty fucking, pretty fucking brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. How, you know how did, I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt, but how did you uh, go from working there to then just being a comic? Was that weird? Yeah, it's weird. How it's, did you separate? Still how did weird. that go down? I still feel I still feel ashamed that I was a talent coordinator there, but I learned so much. It was, but I still feel weird about that um, and kind of embarrassed by it, or like second class because of it. And I remember, man, fucking Don Barris when I was about to be a talent coordinator. Don Barris took me to eat at uh, that that fucking hamburger joint. What's that called down the way from there? What's it called? Uh, I, I don't remember the name of it, but he took me to eat. Oh, it. the caboose. Yeah, that, the that train. train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, oh, okay. he took me Carnies. to Carnies. Carnies. Yeah. He's like, if you become the talent coordinator, you won't ever be a comic here. You won't get spots here. No one's going to give you spots. And you're funny. Just work on your stand-up. Don't get a desk job. And uh, that was really good advice. Um Normally that would have been really good advice, but uh, and I, I didn't. I wanted to do the job because I didn't have the confidence at the time to believe that I could really be a professional comedian. So, um, <clears throat> but to this day, so anyway, yeah. So over the time that I was a talent coordinator, a lot of good shit happened, and I really was going on stage, going doing the potluck, getting employee spots, doing just really you know trying to learn how to do stand up. Because normally the rule of stand up is you need to develop. Um, you know, not in LA. You need to develop somewhere else, and and it, because right. the stage time here is impossible to get. Yeah, and, that's the bad part about starting in LA because everybody sees you before you should be seen. Right, and so people always people remember think you. That you're, that, that's yeah, what. You, yeah. yeah. But the exception to that rule is the comedy store because for number one, at least at the time, not many casting people are coming there. Number two, the spots you're getting are at weird places, so no one's gonna see you. It's like up in the fucking belly room. That's where I learned to do stand-up was up in the belly room on Fridays and Saturdays. You get 10 minutes up there. And I did that for a long, long time while I was a talent coordinator. And so I got to kind of develop in the dark a little bit. And uh, it was really quite useful. That's where I met Joe. I would never become friends with Rogan if not for being the talent coordinator because we started – I probably we probably wouldn't have become friends. I got to really meet the comedians and get to know everybody and – People start giving you advice and about about how to how to do stand up, and so it was like a real education, man. I look at it as it was almost like college. So anyway, but I wanted to, you know, I knew that it was, eventually I would have to leave that job, and that's when Tommy came in, and he was, uh, <clears throat> you know, Mitzi loved him, and all he wanted to do was fucking work for her, and all he wanted to do was. Like, he loved it, whereas for me, I was feeling just claustrophobic and like I shouldn't be here anymore. I need to work on my stand-up. How do I get out of here without completely burning this fucking bridge? You know, how do I get out of here with, without, like, you know, 
uh, forever being banished from the place, which generally happens to managers there, you know, which happens to many people oh, who aren't yeah, comedians yeah. there. A you lot get, of people get banished you from get there. banished. Yeah. So, like, um, <clears throat> Polly wanted to do this reality show, and they wa- I didn't want to be in the reality show, so I, I declined to be in the reality show, and so they had no choice but to let me go. But it was really an amicable sort of break, and... Uh, you know, Peter Shore is really fucking cool, man. Or some Peter is really cool. So, like, he, um, he, I don't know. I think he helped a lot. But anyway, that's how I left. And, uh, and that, that's how I made the transition from it. And then sometime around that time, Joe started taking me on the road a little bit. All you Beauty and the Beast fans, I just want to let you know, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. The beautiful tintedvisionart.com. Go to their website. They got some great fucking comic books too. I was looking at them today. They got like porno comic books from rare artists. Take a look. Order 15% off. Uh, Tainted Vision Arts. They're also going to have a Valentine's Day special. Keep looking at them. NOCC for all your medical marijuana needs. 4854 Lancashire. And also Divine Wellness right up the corner for the banana bread. And that's it. And also, if you would like to email us, you can always email us at beautyandthebeastpodcast at gmail.com. We would appreciate it. And now we have a new banner on our website. It's an Amazon banner. And, uh, you know, Joey and me do the podcast all on our own. And uh, we don't want uh, anything from you other than if you're thinking about buying something on Amazon. If you just go through our banner, it'll get counted. And, uh, and maybe we'll see a couple of pennies from that. And we would appreciate it. Also, if you would go on iTunes and uh, leave a little review for us. You know, I just ordered coconut be... water through the banner. So Did you really? I'm going to make like 10 cents awesome. on myself. You follow me? I'm about to buy a trundle bed <laughs> through the banner. Are you really? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Duncan Trussell, I'm fucking happy you came here today. I'm so excited I got you. to meet you a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, thanks. get to know you a little bit thanks. better. Thanks, you guys yeah. are the best, man. It's really fun. I love you to death, and I'm happy you're back in my love life. You too, man. With all my heart, I got to tell you, I, I was lonely for Duncan uh, we reconnected in Chicago and had a blast and I truly love you I love you too because a talent coordinator Felicia loves you and uh, this is how we do it bitches every week Beauty and the Beast podcast Anyway, anything you want to promote, Duncan? While yeah, you're here, you we're going to Vegas this weekend. Huh? Yeah, Vegas this weekend, and then and then after that, I'm going to be at the Arlington Draft House in Virginia. The week, not this weekend, but next weekend. So, kind of that. And what's your Twitter account? Oh, Duncan Trussell, two S's, two L's. Follow this bad motherfucker. He always makes me laugh. Where in Vegas are you going to be? House of Blues this Friday. Right. Yeah. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, any dates, Felicia? Um, I'm uh, going to San be Diego? in uh, San Diego the uh, week after Valentine's, and then uh, the Valentine's week. I'm going to be in San Antonio at the Laugh Out Loud. Please come out. All right. So we love you. Thank you, Duncan. Again, I love you all in my heart. Thanks Felicia, for having me. you look beautiful as usual. Uh, you sexy motherfucker. And even though I'm having surgery, we're still having a podcast next week. Yes. So stay black, bitches. We love you. Mm-hmm. Throw a kiss, Duncan. Bye. <laughs>